Hello and welcome to Genetically Speaking. In our first season, we delved into the careers of our members within the American Society of Human Genetics. We had great conversations with genetic counselors, researchers, educators, clinicians, and more. We were able to explore their unique journeys and the impact they've made in the world of human genetics and genomics. If this is the first time you're tuning in, welcome and we're glad to have you here. For our repeat listeners, welcome back. I hope you hear something new that stays with you. Thanks for joining us in revisiting Season 1 of Genetically Speaking. Uh, welcome to the ASHG Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Gunter, and today we're joined by Beth Talk, who's a good friend of mine. I'm so excited to be interviewing Beth. I haven't seen her in a while. And I'm now working in the same office area that you left. I'm very sad. So Beth used to be at NIH and is now the Director for Science Education of GenSpace. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and what you're focusing on. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Um, so yes, I'm the Director of Science Education at GenSpace. GenSpace is a community biology lab based in Brooklyn, New York. Our uh, grand goal is to make sure that the science and technology that's coming to life right now is open and accessible to all people. Uh, really thinking about this grand vision of people being able to shape science that's relevant to their interests, their needs, their communities, um, and to be able to have access to the tools and technology and knowledge to be able to do it. Um, so we have we have a, a biosafety level one fully functional biotech lab that anybody can use um, as long as they get so yeah, no one there. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So we have yeah. classes, we have a membership program, we have artists and designers working in this space, we have teens, we have fashion students. It's a really unique ecosystem of people doing science and making it their own. Well, I just, y'all can't see because you're listening, but I'm shaking my head in wonder. It's so exciting. So, okay, tell us some projects that people are working on. Oh, man, there's so much fun stuff. So um, my my top favorites that I love to chat about are the fashion designers and textile designers. Um, they come in and they're interested in sustainable fashion. Fashion actually is one of the most polluting industries in the planet. And um, they're trying to think about ways to conserve water, ways to dye textiles using different uh, different materials. Um, so one of our, our students is is like painting designs and bacteria and then fabric, printing them on fabric and, and autoclaving them. And then she has this really beautiful textile that she's hand painted with these fabrics. That's amazing. What color does it turn out to be? Different. Uh, she has different critters. So some of them are using like traditional X-Gal to make it really a beautiful blue. But she's also got some like serratia, which are red and some other um engineered yeast and all sorts of cool things you know that it's really fun yeah 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 so now how did you get there Ian would have thought this was what you would be doing yeah I, you're back yeah i certainly didn't think i would end yeah, up here it's, so cool. it's so definitely been a, a windy road but it's been a really really rewarding one um so when i uh, finished my graduate work i knew i wanted to do science education but i didn't know how when or where and so i tried on a lot of different hats I worked at a science center. I taught adjunct at a community college. I taught high school biology. Um, and then I was very, very, very fortunate to get to be the first genetics education fellow here at ASHT and also at NHGRI at NIH. Um, and so with that fellowship, um, it really shaped my career going forward to help me build the portfolio and the leadership skills and also just the professional network and, and gave me the courage and confidence to try stuff that I maybe wouldn't have tried otherwise. And so it was a really pretty important experience for me to to get there, um, to, to do that fellowship and then to go where I where I am now. Yeah, that's amazing. 
And so uh, what would you, if you looked back on yourself going into grad school, like last week? Right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what did you not know now that you would like to tell yourself? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, and I, I imagine a lot of other trainees feel this too, is that that pressure to like have it figured out. Oh, man. And the reward. Yeah. It's very stressful when you're going through it because you, you look around you and you see your peers maybe going off to do their R1 thing or their or their industry job and they seem to have a much clearer sense of where they're headed and for those of us who don't it's it's scary it feels really confusing and really hard on your identity too to think about leaving the bench and then what right and um so for me just i I think the words of wisdom i would i would share with my younger self are just chill it'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really hard yeah we talked about this with one of the trainees earlier it's there is so much pressure to have it figured out. And I think looking back on my own career, I had no idea I would do some of these I'm doing. I had no idea I'd work at nature for Pete's sake. Like, that's what? Right? I mean, right? Yeah, you had no idea you'd be doing something so cool. Yeah. So, yeah, you just, it's so hard, though, to resist that pressure. To yeah. Have it. And do and I think also something that um, comes up a lot is the imposter syndrome. Ooh, it's so hard. I still have that. Oh, yeah. It's so <laughs> hard to state that. Yes. Have you found tricks to help with that? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is just making sure that I'm surrounding myself with people who lift me up instead of put me down and having kind of a community of wonderful mentors, wonderful role models, wonderful peers who I just love and cherish. I was just chatting about uh, some of the other fellows that I had the good fortune of working with and just how much they they do to help you feel confident, secure. You know, like that you're doing cool things and and help you understand that that's that's your strength, that's your identity. Um, so they they do a great job building building you up. Yeah, and it sounds like another way to do that is to do what I think both of us have done to some extent is to forge your own path to, yeah. like, to create jobs that yeah. weren't there. Right? I mean, this job probably didn't exist that you have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you were in grad school. No. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do-it-yourself biology or community biology labs uh, started in r- around 2008, 2009 was when GenSpace actually was was first set up. And so like to me going into graduate school, this wasn't a thing. <laughs> it's just a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. And yeah, here you are. Yeah. So it's so great. So you mentioned that you did the ASHG and then sure fellowship. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how do people get into that? And- yeah. The fellowship was profoundly life-altering for me in so many ways. Um, so I applied in the spring of 2014 and was selected. I started um, in the fall of 2014 and um, I got a chance to work both at the American Society of Human Genetics working on um, helping scientists learn public engagement skills of what some of the latest learning literature is. I got to work on some of the high school workshops. I got to work um, uh, building up a brand new bioinformatics curriculum piece. So learning a lot of skills and also building resources and that people could use. Um, and then at NHGRI, I got to work on some digital learning resources. I got to develop uh, their short course into a form for high school teachers, which was really amazing. Awesome. Um, and I got a chance to actually do direct service and practice with a bunch of different school groups and teens that would come in and out of, of NIH for tours and things like that. Um, and then the really beneficial thing about the fellowship is the opportunity to have a option to do a third rotation at an institution of your choice. And so I worked down at the Smithsonian Natural History Museum doing genetics education and outreach there. And again, I was working a lot with scientists who are doing um, direct communication of their work with museum visitors, but also developing activities and also running youth programs. So it's a really amazing experience to build 
experience to build your skills, to build your knowledge, to build your your communication skills, your network, like all of these things were were profoundly important for, for my career development. But it's you use the skills that you didn't know you would have, like being a high school yeah. teacher. That sounds like you turn around and use that right away. Yeah, right? definitely. To have all these. And other people who came in might not have had that same skills. Yeah, yeah. It's really important to kind of tap into the ex- every experience that you have because it does shape you no matter what you end up doing next. The skills, the knowledge, the you know, the practices that you learn in each of those roles helps you kind of be successful in your next one. They wouldn't have predicted. Yeah. I have a child about to enter high school. Can I call you? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so that sounds so great. And and um, one of the things that I also uh, ask people is it sounds like you don't have a lot of time outside of work because you're doing such a cool job. <laughs> but we do want to hear about this. So what do you do outside of work? You live in Brooklyn. It sounds yeah. like the, the hipster oh, epicenter. Brooklyn. <laughs> It's such, I mean, New York City is such a vibrant community. It's really, it's amazing. I'm I'm from West Virginia originally, so I um, grew up in a pretty small community and um, and have kind of slowly graduated to bigger and bigger cities. And now I just, I love living in New York. There's always something fun to do, some interesting museum. So, you know, I went to uh, uh, an event where I met a feminist death scholar one time <laughs> just like oh yeah <laughs> that's interesting people <laughs> again maybe a field that why not said well who knows maybe i don't know yeah wow so that's it so it's just a, it's a kind of an amazing and you're like let me show you this bacteria wow that's so cool yeah and so if there are people who are in new york city or in the area and want to get involved in gin space how do they reach out to you yeah so the easiest way to kind of get in touch with us is through our website uh genspace.org and then we also have a lovely Instagram. So follow us at GenSpaceNYC. Um, and those are places where you can find more about what's going on in the lab, what classes are being offered if you want to volunteer or kind of teach um, some younger students or even some retirees. We have a, a couple of folks who are retired who come and work in our lab. Awesome. Um, so it's kind of their like second career, second second uh, iteration of, of their interests. Um, so definitely that's one way. And then um, if you don't live in New York or you're not coming to New York anytime soon, there are other community science labs scattered all over the country. We were the first, but there's something like 250 across the globe now, which is pretty amazing in, in a very short period of time. Um, so there's a website called DIYBio.org and you can find local um, community bio groups or labs in your in your local neighborhood. Or if you don't have one, maybe consider setting one up and creating space for new learners to uh, to to learn bio in a hands-on way, in a way that's personally relevant and meaningful to their lives. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not like you're having so much untold jealousy. Yeah. Okay. I have to show you the slime world uh, art that's been coming out recently. Oh my yeah. Gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> really? yeah. Yeah. So okay, so you're here for the career development committee meeting. I know that. So I know that it's obviously you've done a lot with science education and you've been very involved in that. So what do you? What is the career development committee kind of focusing on, and what do you hope that you'll focus on? Yeah. So the big thing that the career development committee is, I think, is focused on um, are providing new uh, training opportunities for, uh, or excuse me, new learning opportunities for trainees to to grow in their careers. Again, I think a lot of the people in the room will have uh, great ones for academic industry, um, other settings. And I think what I'll bring is the nonprofit and community education, community outreach lens, which um, I think there are enough people in our in our world that that this is something that's important to them. And even beyond that, just the skills that you build doing 
education and outreach is really, um, really beneficial then for uh, interviewing, for communicating your science to venture capitalists or whoever, um, whoever, whoever you, you uh, engage with. So that's what I'm hoping to bring is that kind of lens on um, being able to share your story and being able to to um, break down your science into digestible stuff for for audiences. And can, if so, can you share a few tips with us for free? <laughs> uh, listener extra, right? So, what what do you tell people when they ask you how do I well, share my science? Since you the expert, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, really paying attention to your your audience, your listener, and kind of asking them questions first. So before you decide to launch into whatever you want to say, kind of gauging what what they're interested in what they already know um, what language they would feel comfortable using and really paying attention to those body cues and like especially not come off like an empty hit right yeah. exactly yes already yeah. exactly exactly and then of course the standards like tell a personal story and right. use analogies and some of those kinds of things that are really useful for um for helping it make sense yeah mm-hmm. absolutely yeah, yeah. You, or tell the slime bolts yeah you know oh she's so cool <laughs> all right so um I, I like to also encourage people to be kind of speculative so you're obviously involved in the diy bio so like five years from now where do you think you'll be will gen space have taken over all of brooklyn oh, or Earth? <laughs> Um, yeah, I definitely see uh, DIY and community bio as, as our preferred term for it um, growing. It's it's um, it's really, I think, sitting in a space that other traditional institutions can't. Um, traditional academic institutions have their incentives and their structures and their histories, yeah, and absolutely, you know, traditional science education spaces um, tend to focus on really young audiences or. Um, then they also have their kind of histories. And so I think what we can do in a a really grassroots kind of community, really like more like a community center or a library really is kind of the way that we operate is is give a space for people to be able to do science that really matters to them personally, whereas you may not be able to do that. It gives you an opportunity to learn stuff without having to decide to commit to a PhD program to learn it. Um, And it gives you a space to kind of find community and find people who really connect with you and connect with the, the things that you're interested in, in this world where we're feeling a little bit more and more isolated every day. And so the idea of like us finding people who you can bond with on how really shared interests is really, really important to us. I c- could not agree more. That's, that's so important. And you talked a little about social media as well. well. So are you manning the, it's womaning, <laughs> womaning the Instagram account? Or are you going yeah, I don't have cool. to do that anymore. Anyway. Okay, we have a really talented new person. Her name is Danya, and she is fantastic. Oh. And she's really creative and clever and an excellent communicator. Okay, so how, do you use social media? Personally? Yeah. yeah. Um, I have been a little bit slow on it. I have a Twitter account, although I need to <laughs> update it. <laughs> Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really love social media. I think it's an amazing tool, for, especially for scientists to both, again, connect with each other, but also to connect with broader audiences who may not otherwise have access to scientists and scientific information. Um, and especially when like hot topics are in the news, like coronavirus or direct to consumer testing or other sorts of things that are that are important to to people and they're they've got a lot of questions and to be able to have that kind of direct access to scientists is incredibly important so, so how do you it just occurred to me when yeah. we were talking about coronavirus like do people have to have irbs to work where you all are so none of our, our research is biosafety level one so okay. we don't work with any human tissue or human subjects for that matter um uh so if people want to do research on our community, then we would need to do an IRB. So if they want to learn how people learn in a community science lab, then we'll need to set one up. 
Are you making a pitch for that? Because yes, I'm gonna come on. Yes, oh yeah, already called this one reader. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that's really cool. Okay, and, and we do have an IRB for our youth programs, which are part of a larger NSF study. Got it. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Which is so important. Yeah. I think we're, we're seeing that really taking off, putting time into um, seeing how people are, yeah. right? And actually using science yeah. to approach something that we've been doing forever, maybe not scientifically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And especially in kind of unusual spaces, I think we know a lot about how college students learn. We maybe know a little bit about how high school students learn, but we don't know a lot about like adult learners learning for fun. That's a new thing. <laughs> um, that way, you know, it's, it's kind of unusual. That's so cool. Okay, I think we probably have to stop it here. Yeah. I could talk to Beth all day. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much, Beth Tanya. And this has been Chris Gunter and the ASHD Audio Stories. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Genetically Speaking. Join us again next week for another episode. 